chapter, Acts chapter number 27. Most of you know where we're at this morning. Uh, If you've studied the book of Acts, you know that this is the chapter that details for us the shipwreck of the Apostle Paul as he was in journey to appear before Caesar at Rome. And so I want us to give extra close attention to the reading this morning. I know it's going to be a lot of reading. We're going to read the entire chapter. Some of you will say amen and some of you will say oh me, but we're going to read the whole chapter. You'll get through it, amen. And I want you to give extra close attention. Don't get lost necessarily in the details of the particular verses, but try to take the story as a whole. It'll help you in the reading. And let's begin in verse number one. The Bible says, and when it was determined that we should sail into Italy. Now, uh, Luke, of course, is recording this, and he's speaking of Paul and his companions, and Luke was one of those, and they were going to appeal before Caesar. We see that at the end of verse number 32 of the previous chapter, then said Agrippa unto Festus, this man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Paul had been arrested at Jerusalem, and uh, he had been imprisoned for about two years, on these accounts, and as a Roman citizen, he had the right to appeal to Caesar. And so he did so, and uh, they're just getting ready to depart upon this journey. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners under one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. So Julius is the man that has the watch care over Paul in this journey. And entering into a ship of Adramidium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coasts of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria, a ship from Egypt, sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Nidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmone. And hardly passing, it came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading of the ship, lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenix, and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete, and lieth to the south, toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps and undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strake sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. 
And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. But when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country and sounded and found it twenty fathoms. In other words, they were testing the depth of this uh, particular area of water. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it fifteen fathoms. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color, as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And we were in all in the ship two hundred, three score, and sixteen souls, two hundred and seventy-six people. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore, into the which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea, and loosed the rudder bands, and hoist up the mainsail to the wind, and made toward shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. And the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose, and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. I want to read verse number 41 one more time. It gives us a thought that I believe is important to our message. The Bible says, And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. And the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that you've afforded us. Thank you for the privilege and honor and opportunity to stand behind your pulpit, Lord, to preach your word to your people with the power and help of your spirit. Lord, I just pray I'd be a yielded and clean and empty and open vessel this morning for your use. Pray that you give me the power and the unction that's needed, Lord. We thank you for the cross of Calvary, Lord. We just we love you this morning because you first loved us. 
And we just thank you that you're such a good and gracious and wonderful God, such a wonderful Savior, Lord. We just praise your name for who and what you are. I'd ask, Father, if there's one amongst us that's lost, that you'd convict them of their lost state, draw them closer to you, that they might see the cross of Calvary, fall under conviction, and be saved by the glorious grace of God. Lord, I pray that you'd do the heart's work that's most necessary in each heart this morning. We'll be careful to give you the praise and honor and glory that you're due, Lord. And we'll ask these things in the name, the glorious name of our loving Savior, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I appreciate you sticking in with all that reading. I promise you the length of the reading is not indicative of the length of the sermon this morning. Amen. But I'm, I'm, I'm interested in a phrase that's used in verse number 41 where the Bible says, And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. I think about the Christian life. I think about the struggle between the flesh, the natural man, and the spiritual man. I think about the struggle between the church and the world. And I was preaching this to our young people, but the more I prayed and thought about it, the more I believe it applies to each and every one of us. Do you know, church, that we're in a place today where two seas meet? You know, how do you determine, I ask the young people, how do you determine a boundary in a sea? How many of y'all have taken a cruise before at some point in your life, some type of cruise? Well, now, as you were floating along on that cruise, did you come to a big uh, border that was laid across the ocean that said, from here is the Atlantic, and here goes into a different ocean? Did you come across that? No. Was there a great wall built that determined the boundaries of one ocean to another or one sea to another? No. The way they determine the boundaries of a sea is according to the current. You see, one sea is pulling one way, and another sea is pulling another way. And do you know that in this world we live in, we're faced with a battle day in and day out. We're in a place where two seas are met, two forces pulling us in opposite directions. Now this morning, if you're lost without Christ, let me say that certainly that you're at a place where two seas meet. You're here and you're hearing a preacher preach the Word of God this morning. You're in a place where the gospel is given. You're in a place where Christ is exalted, where his name is lifted up high and holy before the congregation. And you're, you're in a place where you have the influence of Christ's salvation in your life. But don't mistake it, brother. You're going to walk out that door into a place that wants nothing to do with Jesus Christ. You're in a place where two seas meet and you've got a choice to make. This morning, and certainly if you're lost without Christ and God speaks to your heart, it'd be a fine day to be saved. This morning, I want our focus to be on those of us that have been born again, washed in His blood. Our spiritual man has been made alive within us. We still have the carnal man in us. We have the influence of the Holy Spirit, but we have the influence of the world as well. And we're in a place where decision has to be made. Understand there's no capacity to drift this morning. A decision will be made. Two seas pulling you in different directions. Your life is going to go one way or it's going to go the other. As we read this passage, there's just a few thoughts I want us to notice this morning. I want us to notice, and as we read this, I hope you gathered the thrust of the story and the main themes of it. I know whenever you read stories like this, you're always thinking, Preacher, I'm never going to remember all those names. <laughs> well, that's all right this morning. You don't have to remember those names. I want you to just keep your focus on the main theme of this. And I want us to take a moment and look at the foolish departure that they made. The Bible tells us that it was a time when sailing was dangerous. It was a time when they would have been better off to stay right where they were at rather than go out into the sea. And I was preaching to our young people and I told them, you know, you're in a safe place. 
And can I say to you today, this morning, church, that in a lot of ways you're in a safe place. When you're in God's house, you're in a safe place. Do you know that? It's funny, we think when we're sitting there and the invitation song's playing and the opportunity is there to do business with God, and we think, I'll wait till a better time. When's a better time? You're surrounded by people that want to see you live for Christ. You're surrounded by the songs of Zion and the holy inspired word of God. You're surrounded by brothers and sisters that want to see you live for Christ. This is a safe place to be in. Now, certainly there can be drama and controversy in a church, especially a Baptist one, amen. But for the most part, you're in a place where people want to see you live for Christ. But mark my word, when you step out into the world, you're in a place where the forces of Satan are battling against you. You're in a place where you're in the minority. You're in a place where the devil has the ultimate sway and say in the affairs of this world. Now, Christ is still on his throne, but Satan is the god of this world and the prince of the power of the air. You're walking into a harsh environment. Preacher, are you saying we should stay in church forever? Well, you ought to stay in church regularly, but, uh, you know, I guess you can sleep here if you need to. Amen. (laughs) But no, that's not what I mean. What I mean is this. When you're in the will of God, you're in a safe place. There's no safer place than the direct will of God this morning. I don't care if you're laid up lavishly in a a brilliant and beautiful mansion. You have all the commodities and amenities that you'd ever need in life. And I don't care if you're a missionary uh, sitting in a hut in the darkness of Africa. If you're in the will of God, you're in a safe place. God had revealed to these men what his will was through the person of Paul. God had made known to them, my will is for you to stay in this place. And and I'm I'm interested in the name given. It's called the Fair Havens. They were in a place of safety and they were in a place of peace. And the will of God is always a place of safety and always a place of peace. You'll not know peace until you get in the will of God. I know that seems overly simplified, but let me say it again because it's simple in the in the expression, uh, but 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 it's a, a little bit more difficult in the uh, efficiency of it and in the effectual matter of it. You'll never know peace until you're in the will of God. You can try as you may, but you'll never have peace. You can have all the money in the world. You can have all the power in the world. You can have all the fame in the world. You can have all the family in the world. But until you're in the will of God, you'll never know peace. They were in a fair haven. They were in a safe place and they had a choice to make. And the Bible teaches us that Paul had made known to them, we need to stay right where they're at. But the Bible says, instead of listening to Paul, that they departed thence. I believe there's three reasons, and I want you to just mark them down this morning. I'd say, first off, that they were sailing under false Wisdom. Look at verse number 11 with me. The Bible says, we'll look at verse 10. It says, uh, and said unto them, this is Paul speaking, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Look at verse 11. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Mark this down this morning. You need to be careful who you take advice from. You need to be careful who you're listening to in life. Say, preacher, are you saying I only need to listen to preachers? Well, no. No, there's some preachers lead you wrong. Amen? You've got to be careful where you're getting your wisdom from. Paul said, we need to stay here. But the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship. You know why? Because it seemed like they knew what they was talking about. It seemed like... Can I use this phrase? A man of the world or a woman of the world? 
It seemed like they knew what was going on. It seemed like they had the wisdom. It seemed like they had the experience. It seemed like they had the right answer. But can I say to you that God is the one that always has the right answer? God's Word has the right answer. Listen to me this morning. Uh, parents, you know God's Word has the, has the right answer about parenting your children. Uh, those of you that are married this morning, you know God's Word has the right answer about how your marriage is supposed to be. Those of you that are serving God, working in a secular work environment, but trying to witness and trying to live with integrity and honesty before a lost and dying world, do you know that God's Word has the answer on how to do that? You'll find in this blessed old book everything you need to live for Jesus Christ. He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And what has He given us? He's given us His Spirit, He's given us His book, and He's given us His church. That's what He's given us. And in those three entities, those three things, you have all that you need to live for Jesus Christ. I know the world has its advice. And I'm not against getting advice from people. I'm not against getting wisdom from people. The Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. But you better keep in mind who the chief and main counselor is. And you better make sure no matter whose mind you get on a matter that you're getting God's mind on the matter, first and foremost. We see that the answer given was for them to leave the fair haven and to step out into the dangerous waters. Can I say that the right answer is never to get out in sin? The right answer is never to get out in sin. You say, preacher, this is a young people message. No, because I believe in this world that we live in, we got just as many adults living in sin today as we do young people. And there seems to be this idea and this notion that the next fair haven, that the next port, that the next sea, that the next voyage is going to be the answer. But the fact of the matter this morning, neighbors, if you're not in the will of God and if you've got sin in your life, you'll never find what you're looking for. Never. They sailed under false wisdom. But I want you to know, secondly, they, they sailed for far off wants. You know what it says in verse 12? This haven was not commodious to winter in. They said, well, this is a pretty good place, but it just doesn't meet all our needs. Isn't it funny as you get older what, how, how much clearer wants and needs become? Isn't that funny? Remember what it was like to be 16? Anybody? A few people? Barely. Bill said, I don't think I ever was 16. <laughs> you remember what it was like to be 16 years old and you needed that new car? You needed that new car. You needed that sports car with the big motor, with the big muffler, with the big pipes. You needed that sports car with the four and the floor. You you, you needed that. Isn't it funny how today you need a minivan? (laughs) No, you wanted that. You wanted that. You didn't need it. And it's funny, as we get older, it seems like our needs and our wants become clearer to us sometimes. But don't be mistaken, friend. I don't care if you're 8 or 80. You can be driven by wants that are unnecessary in your life. They said, this place doesn't have everything we need. You notice that they never made it to the next port? Listen carefully. They never got what they were looking for. Wonder if the prodigal son ever found what he was looking for. You know what he found out? He found that what he had at home was everything he needed. Let me tell you something. The world and the devil will slide up beside you and say, you know, you can't have what you need serving God. They'll slide up beside you and say, you know, you're not going to get the happiness you, the happiness you need serving God. You're not going to get the joy you need serving God. 
And the world's real good at making worldliness look appealing and making Christianity look unappealing. The world's real good at trying to teach us and deceive us that this fair haven that we're in, that when we're serving God in the will of God, that it's not commodious for the long term. That was what they were really saying. They were saying, this is good for fair weather, but it's not good for foul weather. Let me tell you something, neighbor. You better make sure what you've got is good both for foul and for fair weather, because you're going to have your share of either. And let me say that the temptations and the lusts of this world, they may be all right in fair weather, but you let foul weather hit, you're going to be wishing for the fair haven. You're going to be wishing for the fair haven. Hey, listen, you go ahead and get out of the will of God. But there'll come a day you're going to miss it. There'll kind of come a day where you're going to wish that you were back in the very heart and center of the will of God. They said, we need more than this. You don't need more than this. Can I just be very explicit? I was talking to him on Friday morning. We had a good good meeting in, in Senior Saints. The Lord just showed up and met with us. I told him, I said, you know, I wouldn't trade this for anything in the world. I wouldn't trade this for every double-breasted, blue, pinstripe, navy, pocket, square, high church, mahogany pew. I, I, I wouldn't trade this for anything. I wouldn't trade the presence of God. I wouldn't trade the presence and power of God for anything. It's all that I need. Let me tell you something. The devil tries to make you think that you need more than what God can offer. But you're going to find out that those are just wants. And you'll find out that if you'll love the Lord and give Him the, uh, all of your heart and love Him with all that you have, He'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll give you the wants that you need. Uh, they sailed under uh, false wisdom. They sailed for far off wants. But I want you to notice the third thing. They sailed because of fair weather. Look at verse 13. It says, the south wind blew softly, softly. Let me read that again to you. I want to read it explicitly. In verse number 13, and when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. Do you know, now listen carefully, do you know that the devil is smart enough to not make sin look ugly? I mean, I'm just saying, if I was the devil... Now, I'm not. I know some of you think that. But I'm not. If I was the devil, do you know that I, he's a lot smarter than me? Do you know that? He's not born again, washed by the blood, and he doesn't have the wisdom of Jesus Christ. But, but as far as cunning and deception, he's a smart fella. If I was the devil, I'd know enough to say, boy, we need to dress sin up pretty good if we're going to sell it to people. I mean, we need to really make sin look nice. We need to make sin enjoyable. Listen, we need to make sin enjoyable for as long as we can. As long as we can. If the devil could make sin enjoyable indefinitely, he would, but he can't. Because sin bringeth death, so he can't. The wind's always blowing softly when you step out of the will of God. It always seems attractive it all, listen, it always seems like nothing's going to go wrong when you get out of church. It always seems like nothing's going to go wrong when you start robbing from the Lord in tithes and offerings. It always seems like nothing's going to go wrong when you start allowing sin into your home and into your life. It always seems like nothing's going to go wrong when you quit reading your Bible. It always seems like nothing's going to go, to go wrong when you quit praying. The, the south wind always blows softly at first, and sin always looks good for a season. It always looks good. The devil's smart enough to know how to sell it. But look, I want you to see not only the foolish departure, but look at their fearful darkness. Look at verse number 14, the first phrase. I want you to underscore this, but not long after. Underscore that in your Bible. 
The south wind blew softly. They thought that they had obtained their purpose. They thought things were going to be okay. They thought being out of the will of God would be all right. They thought they were going to sail on through. But not long after. Listen to me. Young person, old person alike. Man, woman, boy, child. Listen to me this morning. There'll come a day when the wind will start to blow again. You may think it's all right to be out of the will of God. Can I, can I speak from experience this morning? Is that okay? And can I just say that times in my life when I got out of the will of God, say, preacher, you've done that. You better believe I've done that. The times in my life that I've got out of the will of God, it was okay for a little while. Do you hear me this morning? It was okay for a little while. Don't think for one moment because everything's going wrong that you must be out of the will of God. Don't think for one moment because everything's going right that you must be in the will of God. It blew softly for a while. Look at verse 14. We see a harrowing storm. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. That's a big old fancy uh, Greek word. What it really means is a violent and strong agitation. In other words, this was a dangerous storm. You get out of the will of God and in your life, there'll come a time the Lord will send a whale after you. You hear me this morning? The Lord had prepared a storm for Jonah and he had prepared a fish for Jonah. You get out of the will of God, there'll come a time when things will go south. There'll come a time when things will go raw and things will go wrong. There'll come a time when your house of cards will fall over. I've seen it. How many of y'all have seen it before? I've seen it. I've seen young people, I've seen grown adults, I've seen people get out of the will of God, and they seem like they're doing all right. But you know, God loves you enough to not let you live in sin indefinitely. And there came a time when the violent storm arose again. It's just, it's intrinsic to life, you know that, right? It's intrinsic to life that we'll face these things. All the more when we have a loving God and grace and mercy and loving kindness pursuing after us to draw us back to His presence and to His will. All the more, not long after. Sin may be fine for now, neighbor, but not long after there will be a storm. God will get your attention. What did they begin to do? There was a harrowing storm. But I want you to notice their their helpless straining. Look at verse 18 19. Actually, let's look at verse 17. It says, which when they had taken up, they used helps. Now, in the midst of this storm, you know what happened? Uh, They started to get holes in the ship. Can Can I tell you something? When the storms come, you'll start to see what's wrong with your life. It'll become evident where the weak spots are. When your life starts to go south, you'll start to see where you're taking on water. And it says that they passed over to an island and uh, they were going to repair the ship. It says, which when they had taken up, they used helps and undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. You know what they were trying to do? Listen, they were trying to save the ship. First they tried to add things to it. That didn't work. The next day, they tried to take things from it. That didn't work. You know what they finally did? They cast the tackling out of the ship. They cast out even the most necessary things that they needed because that didn't work. You know what I've seen a lot of people doing? 
I want you to think in your life right now of someone that you know. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's someone else. But someone that you believe is out of the direct will of God. And I want to ask you a question. Do you see them trying to undergird their ship? You ever notice, some of you may have had teenagers, young people, sons and daughters in your life that got out of the will of God. And you know what they started doing? They started adding things to it. They started adding the drugs. They started adding the alcohol. Maybe even they started trying to add religion. They started to add things to try to undergird the ship. That didn't work, though, did it? (laughs) Didn't work, though, did it? Because the problem was not the ship. The problem was the sea they were sailing on. The problem wasn't what they were, it was where they were. The problem was not uh, the things that were lacking in their life, but it was that they were out of the will of God. That was the problem. But they're doing things to try to patch the ship up, try to make it sail. And then they find out their, their problem is not only the fact that the holes are in the ship, but they realize the problem is that the sea is too strong for them. So they start throwing things out of the ship. You ever seen them do that? You ever seen someone out of the will of God say, well, I'll quit drinking, that'll fix it. You know what happens to a Christian if they drink and they're not in the will of God? And by the way, they're not in the will of God if they drink. We all right this morning? Good. I I hope I was still in an old timey church. And you know what they, you know, they start drinking and, and they're a drunk, unhappy person. You know what happens when they get rid of the drinking, but they're still out of the will of God? They're a sober, unhappy person. The problem was where they were sailing. The problem was not the ship. And so they start taking things out. And I've seen it, neighbor. I've seen people get clean thinking that was going to fix their problem with God. Get sober thinking that was going to fix their problem with God. Get out of relationships that they shouldn't have been in thinking that was going to fix their problem with God. You say, preacher, should they not have done that? No, that's wonderful. They need to quit those things. But if your problem's with God, then your problem's with God this morning. That's what has to be fixed. And I've seen it. Do everything they can to try to fix the situation. There's nothing you can do. God's got to fix that thing. Nothing you can do to fix your life. God's got to fix your life. You can try to get all those things out. And they get to a point where they're, they're starting to get rid of the things that they need to live. That's a form of aestheticism. Just trying to get, trying to self-sacrifice, you know. Trying to make atonement. Well, I'll get rid of the things that I need in my life. And that will, that will somehow calm the storm. And you see it, they start doing charity work. And they start trying to do good and give money away and give things to people. Trying to do something to keep the ship floating. Something. But it's helpless. It'll do no good. It's like the man that had an evil spirit cast out of him. And the Bible says that he, he cleaned up his house and he swept it. He got everything straightened out in his life. And he sat there and he was lonely. His biggest problem was not who he kicked out. It was who he should have invited in. And the Bible says he went and took seven other spirits unto himself. And the latter end of him was the worse than the beginning. Self-reformation is a vain hope. Only Christ. It's not self-reformation. It's the Savior's transformation. That's the only thing that can fix our life. We see finally uh, not only a harrowing storm and helpless straining, but we see a hopeless situation. It says that they looked in the sky and it was dark. Now, you know what that means, especially if you live in the city. Some of you ain't never seen a star before. (laughs) Amen. But uh, I grew up in the country. You can see the stars and then everything else that lived out in them woods. Uh, But what it means is that the storm was not breaking. And it says all hope that we should be saved was lost, was taken away. 
they came to a breaking point. They came to a place of misery. You know, when you get to that place of misery, that, that's usually when most people, if they're going to take their life, that's when they do it. Sin will take you down that road. There may be people that didn't go that far down it, but we can name a lot of people that have gone that far down it. They got to a place where they were just hopeless. They were hopeless. They had no answers. They had no solution. Sin leads you to a hopeless place. When you've got sin in your life and you're unwilling to divorce yourself from it, to repent of it, to cast it out, and to get it covered by the blood, there is no hope for you. There is no hope for you. There now remaineth no more sacrifice. You turn away the one sacrifice that Christ offered on Calvary, there remaineth no more sacrifice for you. If you won't go to God for help, you won't get help this morning. Do you hear me? If there was a plainer way to put it, I'd put it in a plainer way where we could all let it soak in. If you won't get it right with God this morning, you won't get it right. If you won't get your life settled with the Savior, it won't be settled. All hope was taken away because they would not turn their ship around. The only help you're going to get this morning, you're going to get from God. Some, some of us, some of us used to be more faithful to the Lord than we are now. We reckon wonder what the problem there is. Could it be our ship is sailing in the wrong direction? Some of us aren't praying like we used to. We're not reading our Bible like we used to. We don't love Jesus like we used to. We reckon wonder what happened. Your problem today is not with the ship and your problem is not even uh, with, with the waves around you. Your problem is you're out of the will of God. The sea's going, your, your ship is going the wrong direction. You've got to get it right with Him if it's going to be right. That's the only person that can make it right. I want you to notice a third thing. Uh, we see their final deliverance. What did they do? They did three things. I want you to notice, first off, that their anchors were dropped. Oh, I like this. Uh, their anchors were dropped. Look at verse number 29. It says, Then fearing, lest we should have fallen upon anchors, they cast four anchor, or fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. You say, preacher, why does that excite you? Because it reminds me of a passage in Hebrews chapter number 6. I want to read it to you in Hebrews chapter number 6. In verse number 16 it says, For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Look at this. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Your ship may be going in the wrong direction. You may be flat out of the will of God, but can I tell you, there's an anchor on board that you can drop. There's a place, there's a person who can stop your ship. There's a hope on board. The hope is not in another ship. The hope is not in another place. The hope is not in the sea. The hope that you have is in the boat with you, and it's the person of Jesus Christ, His finished work on Calvary. You say, wonder how I reckon do I stop this ship? You take the anchor, you throw it into the sea. You put Christ in a situation, He'll fix it. He'll fix it. You put Christ in a situation, He'll fix it. You say, what is Hebrews chapter 6 talking about? It's saying that God, men swear by an oath. 
And an oath unto a greater is to all men a confirmation, end of all strife. In other words, a man's word is his bond. And when they swear something, when they make an oath, you tend to make an oath uh, to something that is greater than yourself. You know why? You're saying, uh, uh, above all, I'm going to uphold the honor of this. Some people have made uh, oaths to country and oaths to uh, their parents or oaths to this and oaths to that. And what they're saying is, I'd sooner die than break that oath. I'd sooner die than go against that person. An oath uh, sworn to a greater is a confirmation. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of His promise the immutability of His counsel. You say, what does that mean, preacher? It means God wanted to show us He meant business. And so you know what He did? He swore an oath by Himself. He could swear by no greater. Uh, That by two immutable things in which God cannot lie. In other words, God made a promise to Himself. God can't break a promise, and He sure can't break a promise to Himself. That's the anchor that we have. You say, what does that mean in my life, preacher? It means He'll never leave you nor forsake you. It means it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many holes are in your ship. It doesn't matter what you've thrown out of it or added to it. It does not matter what kind of a mess that your life is in. The Savior can fix it this morning. That's what it means. It means He's there to set it right means he'll never leave you nor forsake you. They dropped their, their anchors. Their anchors were dropped. But I want you to notice uh, that their lifeboats were discarded. Whenever they got close to land, you know what happened? The, the men in the ship said, we got to get out of here. We're going to wreck. And so what they did is they started to climb into the lifeboats and they were going to let them down. But Paul said, sir, you cannot be saved except these men abide. You say, what does that mean to you, preacher? It means to me that it's all or nothing means it's all or nothing. means as long as you're trying to barter and bargain with God, you're never going to have peace. means it's all or nothing. Paul said the only way we can all be saved is if we're all saved. The very last one, the, the 276th person on this ship, their well-being depends upon the first person on this ship. In other words, you can't give a part of your life to God and hope that that satisfies. You've got to give it all to Him. And you know what they did? Their lifeboat. That was a way of escape. That was a way to get away from the anchor. That was a way to try to do it on their own. They weren't just going to float when they got in them lifeboats. Listen to me. You know what they were going to do? They were going to get in them lifeboats and they were going to start rowing. And they were going to try in the energy of their flesh to save themselves. Paul said, that ain't going to work, fellas. You know what I like they did? They, 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 oh, I like this. They didn't take the boat and pull it back up into the ship. They took those cutlasses out and just cut the rope. And they said, if the ship goes down, we go down. We're committing ourselves unto the God of heaven. We're casting, we're shipwrecking ourselves on the shores of His love. We're depending on His mercy. Let me tell you when your life will get right. When you get to the place, you know, you remember the prodigal in the pigsty? You know what he said? He said, my servant's father's have enough to eat and more and abundant. They have food left over. And I perish with hunger. The prodigal got to a point where he said, I don't care about my friends. I don't care, so-called friends. I don't care about my pride. I don't care about my, uh, my selfishness. I don't care. I don't even care about running my own life anymore. I'm starving to death. The Bible says when he came to himself, you know what that was? The prodigal dropped his lifeboat out of the, out of the ship. The prodigal said, I'm done. 
The prodigal took that white flag and raised it before the God of heaven and said, Lord, I'm done trying to fix it. God, it's up to you. I commit myself to you. You have me, mind, body, and soul. You have every person in my ship. Lord, I'm yours. And he said, I will arise and go to my father's house. I'll tell you part of the reason that you can't get your life fixed. You've got about 270 people you're willing to give to God. But you got five or six you want to hang on to. The majority of the things in your life, you're fine with him having. But then you got one or two things that you say, no, Lord, these belong to me. And you're keeping the lifeboat ready to bail on the will of God when things don't go your way. I want you to notice a final thing. We see that the anchors were dropped. We see that the lifeboats were discarded. This is hard. I hate to end it on this note. Some of you said, glory to God, he's ending it. (laughs) But I want you to notice that the ship was destroyed. The Bible says in the last verse of the passage, it says, some came in on boards and on pieces. They finally made it to land. But when they did, they were coming in in pieces. How many of you know someone that if they came back to God today, they'd be floating in on pieces of their broken life? People that bear so many scars and so much sorrow. You say, preacher, the Lord can make all things new. Sure He can. Sure He can. Men are not as forgiving. Men are not as forgiving. It may square you with the Lord, but those around you, they see your broken life. You say, preacher, you're trying to discourage me. No, I'm trying to warn those that haven't done that yet. That's what I'm trying to do this morning. And those of you here that have been in that situation, you if you've really been there, that's what you want me to do this morning. You want me to take some of these younger people and warn them not to, not to, not to shipwreck their lives and go floating in on a piece here and a piece there. Not to come in with a broken life. Not ever to set sail out of the fair havens. Preacher, my life's broken now. Hallelujah, you can make it to dry land. You can set it right and the Lord can make it right and you can give your life to Him. Hallelujah for that this morning. But you younger people that haven't shipwrecked your life yet, don't make the mistake of ever even leaving the fair haven. Stay in the will of God this morning. Don't go in with scars. Don't go in... You know know not all scars are physical. Can I get a witness to that this morning? Some of you bear scars on your heart that people will never see. Some of you bear scars on your memory that some people will never see. Things you can't unsee. Things you can't unfeel. Things you can't unexperience. I'm not talking necessarily about physical scars this morning, although sin has left its share of those as well. I'm saying when they finally made it to land, their life was broken. They made it. Hallelujah, they made it. But you could tell they had been through it. This morning, I, I want to encourage two factions of people in particular. And listen, if you're lost, today's a fine day to get saved. So don't don't stay away from an altar just because this was a message to save people. But I want to talk to two different people this morning. I want to talk to young people first. And I want to say, today would be a fine day to cut the lifeboats and to give your life to Christ. Today would be a fine day to quit. Today would be a fine day to quit playing Christianity. Today would be a fine day to quit playing games with God and say, Lord, I'm all yours this morning. Today would be a fine day for that. 
And some of you that maybe have a couple of them scars, maybe your life's not where it needs to be. Maybe you're out of the will of God. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe there's some things going on in your life that nobody knows about. Can I say that this morning would be a fine day to drop anchor and a fine day to drop the lifeboats and a fine day to get your life right with God? I, I just want us to be obedient to the Lord in the next few moments. And I want you to have liberty to do business with God. Their heads bowed with their eyes closed. The altar is open right now as we speak. I encourage you to come. Maybe there's someone in your life, as I begin to pray, maybe there's someone in your life that's in that situation. Maybe there's someone in your life that's in that situation this morning. Someone that, that's, that's sailing the wrong direction. Someone that's left the fair haven. Someone that's out of the will of God. And you want to come and take their name before the throne of God and pray for them. This morning would be a fine time to do that.